It's a Northwest Lifestyle Weekend on Como News. Welcome to the Fast Lane. Nick Miles is our auto expert, so drop it into gear. It's a green flag. Here's Nick. Welcome to this week's show. We're going to start off the show talking about what people like. There was a survey done recently by Gold Eagle that points out the top five dream cars that are made in America. And I'm looking at this list, which primarily looks interesting when you look at the top five. But when you start to break it down by age group and sex, it starts to get super, super interesting. So first of all, uh, number one was the Mustang. That's not really surprising. It is the uh, the number one selling sports car in the world. Number two, Tesla. Doesn't particularly say which model. Three is Jeep. Corvette is number four, and Camaro is number five. All right, looks uh, fairly obvious on the front. Not sure about the breakdown, though. This is where things change. Camaro is tends to be split about 50-50. It's 48% men, 52% women. When you get to the Corvette, uh, 59% men, uh, 41% women. That That's fair enough. Um, there are a lot of ladies who love the uh, Corvette, but, however, it tends to be something that a man would buy, right? Oh, don't even. Well, you have one. Mm. No, All right. I have a Corvette. You, I want one. Yeah, you, know, you want one. Mm. Or so, two. So here's the deal. It's mostly men that buy them. They're, I mean, it's 60-40 about. If yeah, we... and they're probably like 65 plus. Right. Right. There's, so there's a lot of men right. that, that are into them. Okay. I mean, I see Mustang is a little bit more of a woman's car, and it happens to be. It's the other way around. 60% women. You're sticking your tongue out, making faces. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 All right, you might be a Corvette lady. Yes. But there's a lot of ladies out there that like the Mustang. And in fact, uh, women are very happy in a Mustang. There's a manageable amount of power. It's very good looking. Cargo room. Cargo room, so you can get all your stuff into mm-hmm. it. Uh, you know, Corvettes are hard to get in and out of. There's there's a lot of things that would say negative. They have more power, but I probably would go for a Mustang, by the way, if I had to go between those two, especially on a daily driver. You know, Jen's not agreeing with me. Wrangler <laughs> is where it just gets really topsy-turvy. Yeah, I really like this, 81% actually. women like the Wrangler. Yep. That, to me, is a huge surprise because it's it's kind of America's off-road vehicle. Right, and only 19% of men yeah. voted for that one. So Wrangler is a ladies' car. It is. <laughs> Which is, you know, there's all these Wranglers. It's, I think it's the most aftermarketed vehicle in the United States. So it gets tons of light bars and winches and lifts and huge tires and new grills. And, and that's the ladies that are doing. Mm-hmm. That's to me super, ex- you know, super exciting, but super surprising too. And then mm-hmm. on the the Tesla Model S is is all men, sixty three percent and versus thirty seven. But then then you can jump down to lifestyle or age group, and this is where it's very obvious. So millennials are all about Tesla, which of course they are. It's electric. It's you. It's techie, but. Jen again making faces here. I wish we had. We need a studio cam. No, of Jen's okay. faces in the studio <laughs> cam. Uh, Jen doing her cartoon faces. Uh, millennials really into Tesla. Uh, Gen X is are into me. Camaro. You're Which a Gen is, Xer. Yep, it's I, Camaro. I have one. And baby boomers into Corvette. I don't think that's surprising. No, to you. not at all. Um, the the desired traits. Uh, 
are for men and women, when you divide that out, that's where it starts to get super interesting. So let's talk about men first of all. They like four-wheel drive, they like size, and they like safety. Safety, I thought, was something that ladies are more... You know how motherly protecting the family? I would have thought that would have been more safety. Maybe they surveyed 2,000 people that were single, maybe. I don't know, because I'm surprised on this women list. Right, so women, what their top traits for desirability are in a vehicle is convertible super surprised about that number one for them is convertible you know you know why i'm surprised because convertibles are a dying uh thing in cars hey a packed show coming up for you we've got uh, really cool stuff uh, on the show this week and of course you can follow us on social media at our auto expert stand by we'll be right back More Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is coming up on Como News. Start your engines and they're off. Back to Our Auto Expert, Nick Miles. This is Como News. You're listening to America's Automotive Radio Show, keeping you connected with all the hottest vehicles on the market, local, market locally created and nationally celebrated. Uh, Heiko Schmidt is with us to talk about the Mercedes-Benz AMG family of cars. Now, before we get into the conversation with this, I had one of the most exciting experiences over the last week or so in Nashville, and I got to drive the latest vehicles from AMG, Mercedes-AMG. If you're not familiar with AMG, it's kind of the performance arm of, well, it's not kind of, it is the performance arm of Mercedes-Benz, but it's so much more than that. Uh, There's a lot of things very specifically that Mercedes-Benz do with their AMG partner, and that uh, is very different from anybody else doing that in the same sort of genre, you might say. Uh, I got to drive the E63 wagon, the AMG E63 wagon, which is not only a very utility vehicle for family hauling, but does 0 to 60 in 3.4 seconds. Uh, Heiko, welcome to the show. First of all, the question is, why did you mess with my head so much in bringing out a car, which is something I now have to buy? <laughs> Good morning, Nick. Well, I, when I say when our PR colleagues came and approached us and said, this is this is something we want to do, and they kind of presented the concept of the, the fast family hauler drive in, in Nashville, um, I, I think there was not a single person at Mercedes USA who got very, very excited about it. You, you just have to appreciate the fact that these are cars that you, know, you can, you can, as you say, you can put all your friends and family in there um, and, and all their luggage, and at the same time uh, go from zero to sixty in a time that, if you think a few years back, it was reserved to to super sport cars. So um, I think it's something everybody enjoys, and then also specifically for the e wagon, I think that that car just has a very special spot in, in many, many people's hearts just because it is so special. So great concept, and I think all the journalists going through it had a great time. Now, usually journalists have been favorites, or wagons are favorites for journalists. They like uh, brown manual diesel wagons, but you really changed that around on us. You're still a wagon <laughs> that all the journalists want the special. But the, the real heart of this vehicle is between the front wheels. It's the engine. And the engines in AMGs are very specifically different from any other car manufacturer, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, so first of all, obviously, we need to highlight the one man, one engine principle, meaning every single engine in our AMG performance cars is built by only one 
technician, um, one engineer, and at the end of that process, uh, he puts his little badge on top of the uh, of the engine and signs with his name to say, hey, um, I guarantee that I did my best to build this engine. So that makes AMG um, very different. And there's been a number of AMG customers over the years that said, you know, I, I want to travel to Afaltabach, um, the, the hometown of AMG, and I want to meet the technician who built my engine in my car, which is pretty cool. Does it follow on that somebody will say, hey, I want a new uh, AMG E63 wagon, but I want my engine built by, you know, Bob Phillips because he was the best, you know, my last engine was built by him. Do you ever get engine requests? We do uh, quite a bit, actually. Um, it is, uh, logistically, it's it's a pretty big challenge, um, but it does happen. If you do have a car um, that you like and, uh, you know, you've made good experiences with the engine, you say, hey, the next one I have, um, I, I want the exact same person to build it. Unfortunately, AMG is not really able to accommodate it in most cases, just because you know, with when the factory comes into play and you know all this just in time, just in sequence stuff at the assembly line, it just gets extremely complicated uh, to guarantee it. But it does happen. So, how many guys are building these engines? Is there is there you know a handful or is it twenty? Is it fifty? Um, I don't have the exact number. Last time I checked, I think it was in the mid thirties. Yeah. Okay, and uh, I think one one thing to highlight too is that uh, there is now a number of uh, female technicians too, which you might not think immediately, but uh, a, a pretty I think it's two handfuls of uh, very well trained and qualified uh, female uh, engineers who are building AMG engines. Uh, what goes fast has to stop fast. When we come back, going to take a quick break now, Heiko. When we come back, I want to talk to you about how do you stop such a big vehicle from going uh, 100 and something miles an hour. I want to talk to you about the drift mode and also the GLC Coupe uh, AMG version, which we also got to drive, which I think is you know, another car I unfortunately have to add to my dream list. We'll be right back with more AMG and how to go fast on our Auto Expert. Keep listening. Nick Miles, our Auto Expert, is moments away on Como News 1000, FM 97.7. Como News 1000 FM 97.7. Jump right in and put the pedal to the floor. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to our auto expert. I am Nick Miles. So we were talking in the first half of this interview to Heiko Schmidt about AMGs and the engines. 603 horsepower in the E63 wagon and the E63 sedan. How do you, something that goes that fast, you have to make it stop as well, don't you? And I noticed some very colorful uh, brakes on this vehicle. You probably noticed a lot of gold on these cars, right? Right. Uh, um, indica- indicating the cars were equipped with the uh, carbon ceramic brake system, um, wh- which is uh, an expensive option, but uh, if you ask me, uh, worth every penny. Uh, because obviously, um, there's a number of advantages to a carbon ceramic brake. Um, people know that... Typically, it's it's a lot less weight that you carry around, so a lot less unsprung weight um, on the exit, which is which is great in a, in a sports car. That's what you want. Um, the the uh, brake disc cool down considerably faster. So if you do intend to take your E-Class wagon out on the track, which I'm sure every one of our customers does on a regular basis, um, then uh, it's you know, it's absolutely worth stepping up to those, and they, they just look cool too. I mean, they're insanely big and you have the the, the gold um uh, calipers there the 
you can recognize it right away that you're equipped with a uh, carbon ceramic brake. Let's talk a little bit about uh, performance of the vehicle. Uh, 0 to 60, 3.3 and 3.4 for the wagon. The, presumably the wagon's 0.10 of a second slower because it has the extra weight. Exactly. It's just a couple of pounds more this car is carrying around. Yeah. <laughs> just, a, just a couple. Uh, then then you have things like the, uh, the the top speed. Now, you're going to have to electronically control that, presumably, because this, ve- this you know, 603 horsepower is, is a lot of horsepower in a vehicle. Yeah, the top speed is, uh, is governed at 180 miles an hour, um, which, I mean, obviously the car would go faster, um, but it's mostly the tires we're concerned with. So we'd have to just... <laughs> step up to a completely different set of tires if you wanted to enable the car to go even faster than that. Um, I do doubt that um, any of our customers experiences frustration when it comes to, oh, the car only goes 180 miles an hour. It's just um, a journalist. It is an, it is an e-wagon. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, the drift mode because this is something that I know that um, the AMG team in Nashville were a little bit sheepish about showing me, but eventually I managed to coax it out of them. So the vehicle has a drift mode. Normally the wagon that we were driving is an all-wheel drive. It's the Mercedes-Benz, of course, well-known for their all-wheel drive uh, systems, but there is a way to disable it. Correct, yeah. So maybe you lose a word about the, the actual all-wheel drive in the car first, um, because that's kind of the enabler um, for the drift mode, as we call it. So the e-cars, when it was introduced, uh, featured a an all-new, what we call Formatic Plus, uh, all-wheel drive system. For the first time, there is a fully variable torque distribution from front to rear axle, meaning the system can, um, it, it's not a fixed distribution as we had in the past, like a 67, 33, typically used to be 67% of the rear axle, 33% of the front. But now the system can actually shift all the way up to 100% of the torque um, to the rear axle. Um, and based on whatever driving situation, um, what makes most sense. Excellent. Heiko, thank you. It's always great to talk to you, and people can find out more at uh, Mercedes-Benz website. I could talk to you for another four hours about this. I am so enthralled with these vehicles. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for joining us. When we come back, we're going to have more about cars and some special stuff we've been saving up. Homo News 1000 FM 97.7. Our auto expert with Nick Miles will be right back. Our auto expert continues on Como News. Here's Nick Miles. Welcome back to the show. You know that I love myself a little bit of wagon. Uh, America's have a hard time embracing wagons. Uh, Jen, have you ever thought about owning a wagon? No. Ryan, no? Yeah. You, you think about owning a wagon? Oh, yeah. Trade the Corolla in for a wagon? Oh, yeah. All right. Or get a Corolla wagon. Oh, cool. Oh, oh. Next talking. week's show. Uh, Dave Larson <laughs> on the phone with us from Jaguar to talk about the XF Sports Break. Uh, first of all, why is this not called a wagon? Well, the connotation wagon uh, is somewhat negative in the States. Um, and really, this is something different. And to, to make a difference, we put a different uh, label on it. And we are calling it the XF Sport Break. So Sport Break is, it, it makes me think of Shooting Break, which is sort of a wagon-esque sports car that, you know, I guess originally was a two-door that you'd go, you'd go 
pheasant hunting with enough room for the dogs in the back. Or I'm not sure actually how the word uh, came around, but I'm guessing that's how it started. So sport break is sort of uh, the four-door version of the shooting break? Exactly. Um, and and it, uh, it's sexy. It's, it's Lord of the Manor-ish, right? Yeah, it, it's it, a gorgeous car. Um, it, it gives you that very much that sort of superior, gentlemanly feel. Uh, but but to be honest with you, it's a, it's a performance vehicle as well, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, we only offered the XF Sport Brake in one variant, the 380-horsepower supercharged V6. Uh, which delivers incredible performance. And it's a reasonable price as well. When you talk about price, you know, we, we, we were talking about some wagons that were available from other companies that were like 150000 This is This is considerably less than that. Yeah, the MSRP for the Sport Brake is 64575 and that is our S derivative. So really, it, it's a all-in car. Um, you really just need to pick the, the color uh, because it has uh, the uh, higher-level interior uh, featuring leather throughout, as well as on the exterior, you have the dynamic styling and the larger wheel. So let's talk about the styling on the outside, the exterior features, because it takes a lot from the existing XF, but it gives so obviously that extra wagon look. Yeah, and I'll tell you, it's uh, it's a great concept because um, it's low to the ground. It delivers incredible performance. But when you open up the rear liftgate of the vehicle, you have a cavernous uh, cargo space to really haul as much as you like. And you can actually fit four bags of golf clubs in with the second seat up, no problem. Uh, that, to me, is an awful lot of space. So in, in the sedan version of that, you would be hard-pushed to get a couple golf bags in the back, wouldn't you? Yeah, you could get a, probably two. You might have to take the drivers out. But uh, in the case of the Sport Brake, no problem with four bags. And now, is there a market for wagons? Do you think Americans could survive, you know, with wagons? Well, I'll tell you, if you look at the overall segment development in the U.S., uh, SUVs are the majority. And I would say this is something in between because it does offer that car-like ride, but you also have the benefit of the SUV hauling capacity. And what I love about it is going skiing because here's one vehicle that I can actually reach the roof rack and put my skis on top without having to climb up the side of the car. <laughs> so Jen and I, how tall are you, Jen? Four foot 11 and three quarters. So four, four foot 11 and three quarters. Uh, I'm, I'm five foot four. So clearly for both of us, I usually have to have my other half come out and put stuff on the roof of the car for me. Combined, you're yeah. almost a full size regular human. Yeah, I stand I on we... my rims and my tires to get to things. stuff on the roof. <laughs> exactly. And you know, in the snow, you're going to be slipping and falling, but with the sport break, it is so easy just to, you know, put your uh, skis on the roof, no problem. I'm five six, so uh, I, I think I'm in good company with you, and uh, I have no issue. Uh, and if you've ever tried to put a bike on the roof of an SUV, good luck with that. It's like, oh, forget it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I, I always feel like I should have a loading dock in my house so I could back the car in and then walk down the side and just, you know. A big reach. lift gate. Yeah. <laughs> Some kind of uh, forklift truck to put me up high enough so I could put stuff on the roof. So there's always that because obviously uh, getting stuff on the roof is always much harder. I would actually have the wagon way before I had the sedan, just because I think it's it's sexier. Plus, I have five dogs. There's like there's no excuse. Oh, like, perfect. But, you know, wagons yeah. are perfect for that. All right, uh, Dave, hang hang ten. When we're going to come back, I want to talk about some of the interior features, the engine and transmission, the feet, the tech features, which I think Jaguar leads the country in, and also we'll talk about availability and where it's built. When we come back on our order. Stay tuned. There's more to come with Nick Miles on Como News. 
It's our auto expert on Como News. Here's more with Nick Miles. Welcome back to the show. Dave Larson on the phone with us from Jaguar. We're talking about the XF Sport Brake, which is Jaguar's new wagon-esque. I'm not going to call it a wagon. Wagon-esque vehicle uh, introduced this year. And Dave, when does it actually come to market? So the, uh, the um, Sport Brake went on sale late December. And uh, we've been filling the inventory pipeline, and we have the vehicles readily available in showrooms now. All right, so it's been out for a little while. Uh, one of the things I really like about this vehicle is the interior, because you've you've kept that sort of upper Jaguar interior design, even though it has that extra space at the back. Yeah, so... The strategy behind the Sport Brake was really delivering the best product to market, uh, and that's why we chose the S model, which really features the enhanced exterior styling elements as well as the uh, increased level of luxuriousness in the interior with the Taurus leather standard throughout. One of the things is uh, you, quite often you get wagons uh, you, I mean, uh, against something like the Subaru Outback, which is very basic. The interiors have always left something to be desired. Uh, and clearly this is a luxury vehicle, a premium vehicle, and you can see that on the inside. But the tech is something that's absolutely outstanding in this, and you guys have really got some communication tech going on the inside uh, with your infotainment system. Yeah, so uh, we recently introduced our all-new infotainment system, which we call In Control Touch Pro. Uh, it features a 10-inch uh, screen plus a quad-4 processor, so it is really quick in delivering responses. And it also has some cool features uh, for communication as well. Yeah, so all the uh, usual uh, things like Bluetooth connectivity, uh, and then we also offer a suite of apps uh, in the vehicle as well. One of the things that, that you introduced was a much larger screen in the vehicle so no longer did you have to have this sort of five and a half inch screen but you've got a, you've got a big screen it's easy to navigate and and i know that jaguar are one of the first companies to use flash on the interior of their vehicles so everything's a lot smoother now with this quad processor getting from menu to menu uh team tends to be a lot faster there's none of this sort of waiting for things to load no it, it's instant response uh as you enter the uh navigation as well as uh connecting your phone uh, full connectivity with it. And then we also offer a app where you can see your car, where it's parked. Uh, you can check the fuel and you can also uh, start it from uh, your cellular phone. And one of the things that you did introduce, I think uh, was probably a couple of years ago with this, is the ability for the car to send messages home while you're driving home and tell people how long until you actually arrive at your destination. Exactly. So that's part of the uh, navigation system where you can um, have the car automatically send updates uh, with uh, your arrival time uh, to whoever you select. So. Uh, minimizing driver distraction and really still communicating uh, and letting people know when you're, when you're going to arrive without actually having to touch your cell phone. Which really works for me because I like my steaks absolutely medium rare. And if they're <laughs> on the grill too long, so, so, you know, we know when we're on our way home that they need to go on the grill like six minutes before I arrive. So I'm setting mine up to do that. So the steaks, are, I walk in the door and it's like sit down at the table. Uh, Jen shaking her head. Jen, you, you don't want people to know where you are? 
No, I just think it's funny. I'm waiting for you to say Alexa's going to cook your food, too. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, well, that's the next stage with, yeah. the, with the InTouch Pro, that uh, Alexa's going to tell, oh, you know, it's going to have that full integration. Dave, uh, thanks very much for joining us today. All right, still to come, more cool stuff with cars, uh, but you, this is all you're going to get for wagons. And if you want, if you want more wagons, you have to go to your Jaguar dealer. Keep your radio tuned to Como News. More Our Auto Expert is on the way. He's Nick Miles, and this is Our Auto Expert on Como News 1000, FM 97.7. Thanks, guys. So check this out. You can follow us 24-7 at uh, ourautoexpert.com and see some of the videos that we've recorded. Also, go there and listen to all the shows we've ever had. Yeah, they're all uh, at ourautoexpert.com, the podcast. So every morning when you wake up, you can listen to a two-hour show. Isn't that great? And the idea is you can also follow us on social media. We have Instagram, we have Facebook, and we have the Twitters. Uh, just follow our auto expert at all of those. Or my personal is Nick J. Miles, N-I-K-J-M-I-L-E-S, because we always want to know what I'm doing, what airport I'm in all over the world. Traveling there, of course, to make sure that you have all the latest car information that uh, happens around the world every single week. Still to come in the show, we're going to talk about traffic lights. Yeah, There's a thing that Audi have where you can actually check out the time a traffic light's going to take to change. It'll inform you of that. Plus, there's the opportunity to feed back and find out how the city can benefit from knowing where traffic flows are. Plus, what's going on in the world of investment, electric cars, etc. Anton Warman going to join us. He is our mad professor. That's all coming up on our order. Como News. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Stay tuned. Our auto expert will be right back. It's a Northwest Lifestyle Weekend on Como News. Welcome to the Fast Lane. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. Welcome back to the show. I am Nick Miles. The crew is in studio. Jen and Ryan here today. The halfway show point uh, gives us an opportunity to talk about some of the things where we have been traveling around the country, uh, taking care of stuff, uh, business, news, what we've found out about new cars. In uh, Atlanta this week, Ryan and I went to see the new Chevy Blazer that was introduced. Uh, you think Blazer, you think a car from the 1960s and 70s. This was the, the pre-vehicle to the Suburban and the Tahoe. It was a big SUV. It was really what launched Chevy into the big SUV segment. And then several years later, there was a smaller version, a much thinner, a much more uh, nimble version of the Blazer. But the Blazer really kind of this American monster, an off-road monster. The new Blazer, not. It's uh, much more of a family SUV. So on the one side, it looks great. It's got some great features. It's going to sell huge amounts. You think about the Traverse, which is Chevrolet's three-row SUV uh, on the mid-to-large size of an SUV. That has uh, great styling. The sales are up 79% with that vehicle. This is kind of the two-row version of that. They just sort of uh, took one, I would say, seat row out. But it looks amazing. They've made it look really wide. They've made it look very muscular. And the cool thing is what you think are the fog lights are actually the headlights down the bottom there. So it has these cool daytime running lights that are very narrow and thin up top, look like eyebrows. But the eyes themselves are way down in the bumper, the headlights. So it looks this sort of very masculine black grille on the RS version. And the cool thing they've done to make the wheel wells look bigger, and nobody has done this before that I've ever seen, is they've put trim 
around the wheel, but the trim is exactly the same uh, distance out from the body as the, the panel itself. So it's flush with the panel, but gives an extra two inches of black around the wheel well and in the RS version and gives the impression that this is a big, meaty off-road vehicle. Four-cylinder, four a 2.6-liter engine, or a, a three-point-something, uh, 3. 3. 3.6, 2.4, I think, 3.6. Uh, in uh, the V6 or the the four cylinder, I'm not sure how big they, but they're both mated to a nine speed automatic transmission. Yeah, it's a 2.5 liter, 2.5, and a 3.6. So your so, options. Uh, honestly, to be honest with you, I would only buy the six, but that's because I'm I'm a bit of a power freak and I like to go fast and I like uh, big roaring meaty sounds in vehicles. Uh, four is what most of America will probably buy because it makes more economical sense. We don't have numbers, we don't have price, we don't have on we know on sale. For the new blazer is going to be first quarter of next year probably mm -hmm. yes. which makes it a 2020 vehicle so and it won't be a 2019 because uh, obviously vehicle years are a year ahead of its production cycle so it'll be a 2020 uh the cool thing about it is that for those people that didn't want the three row they now get a two row version very much like nissan did with a nissan rogue and the rogue sport uh this is slightly bigger than that there's a very cool thing on the back end, and we have this. In the side of the light, it has the actual Chevy symbol. Uh, so as you walk down the side of the vehicle, and then it has Blazer in big letters written across the door, which, I, well, they're not big letters, but black spaced out letters across the door. I like that idea. I think the red one looked really good. I'm not sure I would buy it in the silver. They did have a silver version, kind of a top trim version down there. But the RS, to me, when you talk about Chevrolet and an RS version, got to love it. The Blazer's back. But it's not the blazer that you would have known. No, I, w I like the new technology they came out with for the hitch, hitch alignment. Yeah, so that allows you to use a camera so a one single person can uh, back the uh, a trailer on or back the vehicle onto a trailer. 4,500 pound towing, which is pretty reasonable for a vehicle of that size. I think that's in the V6 version. Plus, in the interior of the RS, this was the really cool thing. So they've dyed. The, the the top of the leather is black, but the underneath of the leather is red. So when they stamp the holes, the perforated holes for the heated and cooled seats in that, you can see the red through the hole, and it kind of looks like red polka dots That's on awesome. the seat. Yeah, <laughs> and it was very cleverly done. Plus, there's the, the red um, piping throughout that. In the back, they have a USB-C charger, which is what everybody's going to, a regular USB charger, and a 110-volt plug. So anybody in the back can actually get their power, you know, kids especially. And they have heated seats now in the rear. Yes, which, of course, I've never cared about the kids in the back. But, you know, for me personally, <laughs> if I had to ride in the back. It's probably time to take a commercial break. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. There's more to come with Nick Miles on Como News. It's our auto expert on Como News. Here's more with Nick Miles. Welcome back to the show. I uh, I got to test drive a brand new Audi A5 recently. And in this vehicle was a new system from Audi, which was their traffic light information system. Now, I have experienced some of this before, um, and I'll give you sort of a synopsis of, of the experience of having a traffic light information system in the vehicle. It is able to hook up with a network. It is able to uh, understand the light sequences and display given information inside the vehicle. Why would you uh, care about that? Well, actually, if you don't think you care about it, it's probably one of the most important things because driving to work, traffic lights are pretty much every driver's nemesis. That red is really annoying. Uh, if you know it's going to change 
to red or it's about to go green, imagine how that would change your life. Reaching over to slap those knees in the back or the kids that are messing around, now you actually have a break to do that. You can also uh, learn how to accelerate and decelerate coming up to a light. There are so many different things that you can find out about uh, driving. And the experience of driving with a traffic light system was so cool for me that I thought, well, let's get someone on the phone to talk about this. And uh, I have uh, Pom Malhatra is on the phone from Audi. Uh, Pom, what, what's, what's your job at Audi? What do you do? Hi, Nick. I am Director for Connected Vehicles and Data at Audi of America. So this is your baby, right, the, the, the traffic light information system? Uh, it's a project that a lot of people have contributed to uh, all the way from 10 years back uh, when we started in, uh, in, uh, in little meetings in Germany to large teams that have been here in the U.S. and in Europe and in other parts of the world. But yes, we launched this service in the U.S. first, uh, and we've been growing it uh, very uh, regularly over the last year and a half or so. So we are right now running at about 10 cities around the country. So uh, that, that's what we should explain. Uh, it does hook in with a traffic light system. So let's first of all go through the interface of how it works for somebody that's a consumer. What would you see differently in your Audi when you were to drive it with the traffic light information? Well, one of the things about... You know, Audi as a brand is we try to bring in technologies that really improve your overall experience of driving an Audi. Um, and one of the things that is an externality that you have limited control over is how do you deal with congestion and traffic jams? And that's a that's a problem in, in many cities around the country, around the world. Um, I think uh, if you look at like city of Portland, uh, it's ranked 12th in the country for uh, congestion, uh, about 50 hours a year spent in congestion. Most of it stopped at traffic lights. And so if you can find a way to make somebody more comfortable in that period of time that they're at a traffic light, that's a good thing. So that was kind of the motivation behind why we got started down this path. And what we also uh, wanted to take advantage of is the evolution that's occurred with uh, cities investing in infrastructure to connect their traffic lights to a centralized back end that literally controls when these lights are green and red. Um, and at the same time, we've been spending uh, a lot of time and our effort in bringing connectivity to our cars. So we launched a service called Audi Connect in our model year 12 cars. It's available in almost all cars uh, in our portfolio now. And uh, this service brought in the, uh, the evolution to traffic light information service in uh, the end of 2016 with the Q7, the Q5, the A5, the A4 the all-road, and then all future cars are, are getting it as well. So um, what the, the, the overall uh, technical uh, solution here looks like is we take the data that the cities have about when they have timed their signals, and we bring that feed into uh, one of our uh, cloud providers, a company called Traffic Technology Services, which incidentally happens to be based in Beaverton, in Oregon, very close to the city of Portland. Um, and they are essentially a machine learning company. They take the data and they take it from fixed signals as well as variable time signals, as well as those that are camera-based and traffic-based, and they create forecasts with levels of confidence of when those lights are going to turn. That information is fed over an LTE network into the vehicle, and the vehicle is then responsible for deciding when that data gets displayed to the driver. So if you're approaching an intersection and that is a connected intersection, uh, the vehicle looks at whether you're making a turn or heading straight, and it displays to you the appropriate signal on the dashboard with a countdown timer indicating when that light's actually going to turn green. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about how this can improve 
traffic flows in the city. We're talking to uh, Pom Malhotra. He's from Audi, and uh, he's talking about the traffic light system. When we come back, how you can find out when the traffic lights are going to change right from the dashboard of your car. Keep your radio tuned to Como News. More Our Auto Expert is on the way. He's Nick Miles, and this is Our Auto Expert on Como News 1000, FM 97.7. Welcome back to the show. On the phone with me, uh, Tom Malhatra. He is from Audi, uh, talking about the new Audi traffic light, uh, traffic information system. So in the last break, Palm, we talked about a little bit how this system worked. This system can also help cities and municipalities understand drivers as well and perhaps avoid congestion. Absolutely. Um, yeah, this is a pretty, uh, pretty amazing technology and, and clearly the customer benefit is, is there. And what we find is that cities are beginning to realize how important it is to get this type of a system in place. Um, so, for instance, when, uh, when, when vehicles are going through intersections, as the vehicle approaches an, in, an intersection that is a connected signalized inter- intersection, it will request a token. And this token then becomes a, basically a point in the cloud that represents that vehicle but shields its identity. Um, and that is... Is, is tracked as it approaches the intersection as well as as it leaves the intersection, which allows us to create an aggregate view of a traffic pattern at any particular intersection. Um, you know, what type of uh, flows you're trending to see? Are you seeing traffic speed up or slow down as it approaches the traffic light? How long does it actually take for traffic to um, start moving once the light turns green? These are all things that traffic engineers are very, very interested in. And normally a city would probably hire a consultant, pay a few, shell out a few hundred thousand dollars to do a study at a few intersections over a couple of weeks and use that data to make their predictions. We're now talking the ability to take that data from all the intersections that are connected and be able to share that information, uh, you know, about 24-7 time periods, 365 days a year, or any chunk of time that the city is interested in, which really gives them more insight into traffic patterns. And this can be used to re-time traffic lights, build new lanes, move traffic around in different, uh, in different ways, uh, suggest different types of, uh, of signals. Uh, these are all areas where the city begins to start seeing a benefit from the data that's coming back from this type of a service. One of the things that obviously comes to my mind immediately is I've got somebody watching what I'm doing at a traffic light in my car. What's the security like of that? And am I, am I likely to uh, get increased insurance rates because uh, perhaps I'm driving uh, you know, too fast towards a light, et cetera? Yeah, and, and this is where I talked about where the vehicles completely shield the identity of the vehicle through this tokenized system. And so at the end of the day, what we need to know is that there is a, a, a vehicle that went through an intersection. We don't really need to know the identity of the vehicle or who the person was behind it. Um, and, and that's enough for us to be able to make accurate traffic forecasts uh, and create uh, uh, information that can be used by the city. Uh, so that that mechanism is something that's a very standard practice in the uh, industry of, of services based on internet technologies uh, to create tokenized type of uh, mechanisms to shield identity. So there is no big brother here. Uh, if, if the only thing that we're getting is aggregate data that is used by the city to improve uh, future uh, traffic administration. Now, I know in Germany, some of these systems with the two flow, so uh, monitoring what goes on uh, and being able to adjust the lights have been uh, looked at. Does, does it look like the traffic flows will increase and improve if the data adjusts the lights? Uh, the system that we have in place, the machine learning algorithms, takes that data and based on a 
historical view of it, creates forecasts, and then continuously monitors the incoming feed to make sure that it's creating a positive forecast. I love it. I love the idea of not having to worry about getting to the studio every morning. Palm, thanks so much for joining us. When we come back, we're going to find out more about car maintenance and uh, how you can make sure what your mechanic is telling you is true. Como News. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Stay tuned. Our auto expert will be right back. Como News. Time to set it on cruise control. This is our auto expert. Here's Nick Miles. Welcome back to the show. As every week, he joins us. Anton Wallman, independent investor, investor, and analyst. Anton, uh, there is some very dirty happenings over at Tesla. Well, there is a, a lot of brouhaha over production and what the real production numbers have been and will be. Uh, we had essentially a form of a whistleblower, or at least he claims to be a whistleblower. A lot of these uh, claims have yet to be settled one way or the other. But basically, it turns out that an employee had leaked what he says are the production numbers for the Model 3. Uh, I think he had leaked them to Business Insider, and they published an article about it on uh, Tuesday uh, last week, and uh, basically claims that uh, year-to-date, whatever that date was here in the middle of June, right around the middle of June, uh, they had produced uh, 30,000 uh, Model 3s, and in the month of June, they had produced about 6,000 of them. If you back into what those numbers mean, it basically says that they're way behind what they had implied to investors and to the public at large at various points over the last 90 days. Remember, Tesla on April 3rd claimed that they had just been producing 2,020 units per week at that point. And if you do the math here, you will uh, be able to conclude that in the second quarter, uh, they had actually produced on the whole well under 2,000 units per week. And remember, the quarter was supposed to have started at 2,000 and then gone up from there. So simply speaking, uh, basically the uh, the numbers that they're implying to the world is not really what is happening out there in the field. Now, that's twice you've used this word implying. So Tesla, are they saying they've they've produced that many or are they implying because if they're saying they produce that many and this guy's report is true and his report shows that they have not produced that many then clearly there's some kind of fraud yeah well so first of all we don't we haven't nobody or at least i haven't or most other people haven't seen what documents this guy has or doesn't have so uh let's let's sort of uh keep the verdict on that a little bit uh in, in into the future but there he says two things that are there are one uh, the first one is how many they actually said that they produced at the end of March slash first week of April. So there there was a specific claim there in terms of how many they had produced at that point. In terms of having implied what they had been producing, well, they had been saying at various points throughout the quarter that they have the capacity to produce so and so many, and that parts of the production food chain could produce so and so many units per day or per hour or per week. So those were more implied claims than have than having said that they produced so and so many units during this or that week. So it's a mix there, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So 
presumably we can actually track how many uh, Teslas were registered. So we would actually know how many that were sold and then registered, right? Well, yeah. So Tesla will announce in the first five days of the month of July the number of units that they have actually sold. And it's kind of easy in, the, in, in this respect, and that is that they've only sold units into two countries, the United States and then Canada. Canada sales started toward the uh, very end of uh, May and continued, obviously, in June. So that number uh, should be hard and clear. And if you back into uh, what these numbers mean, it probably means that they sold in grand total between the U.S. and Canada maybe barely above 20,000 units for the second quarter. So tell me a little bit about the implications for Tesla now if there's supposedly some kind of uh, misinformation? Well, I mean, really what this challenges is the veracity of uh, you know, the, in, these implied as well as the sort of real numbers that they have, um, that they have put out there. And that when Tesla says uh, something about a number that has been produced, you have to really listen carefully for the weasel language uh, in terms of they saying they have the capacity to do so many this week. They, they have demonstrated the ability to do so and so many units at parts of their production chain. So you really have to parse the words. All right, Anton, stand by. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to know uh, why Tesla are being so elusive on their numbers. More Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is coming up on Como News. Start your engines and they're off. Back to Our Auto Expert, Nick Miles. This is Como News. Still on the phone with Anton Wallman. He is our independent investor and analyst. So why are Tesla being so elusive about their numbers? Why can't they just be straightforward and honest and say, this is what we've done? Why is it always potential, uh, capacity, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera? Why is there so much, um, let's say, smoke and mirrors here? Well, I think there are a couple of dimensions to answering that question. I think the most important dimension is that they certainly want to make it seem like the production is, is higher than it is on a sustained basis. Now, any company, including Tesla, is able to do burst rate production that is always higher than the average production during a longer period of time, say a quarter, which is 13 weeks on average. So when Tesla says that they have produced X number of cars during a week, just like they did on April 3rd, when they said they had produced just over 2,000 units in a week, that would then lead many people to extrapolate and say, aha, 2,000 units multiplied by 13 weeks. Well, that is how much? Well, that is 26,000 units voila, there we have it, right? So that is how many that they think will actually be sold in the coming time period. And when you see the sales number, you'll see that the number is uh, quite a bit uh, smaller than that. So now when they will be able to claim here imminently that they have produced just over 5,000 units in a week, that would then lead people to conclude that multiply by 13, and voila, you have 65,000 units in a quarter. Okay, Tesla should be able to ship and deliver 65,000 units in the third quarter. Well, at the end of the day, when the third quarter is reported in early October, you will see that they neither produced and certainly not sold 65,000 units. So I think that is the, sim uh, the, the single most important reason here that we are uh, talking about. So there is some question about the validity of this whistleblower. 
Yeah, oh, there's plenty of it. I mean, nobody had heard uh, the name of this guy before, least of all me. I mean, this was some guy who worked in their battery factory up in Reno and the circumstances surrounding his departure and then arguing via email with uh, Elon Musk, the CEO, was absolutely wild. And uh, the whole thing, I mean, you know, on that first inspection, the guy sounds a little crazy and the company uh, looks almost as crazy engaging with him in, in, in this tit for tat. So I think we just have to suspend uh, uh, our judgment there until we really find out more about what this guy really had. I mean, for all we know, this guy may have uh, cooked up the whole thing, or maybe he is just an amazing whistleblower. We just don't know yet. We need more evidence. I think this is one of those cases where we should not draw any premature conclusions one way or the other as to whether this guy is just completely nuts or whether this guy really has the goods. But uh, Elon Musk made a monumental fail the day after he he sued him, basically, then engaged with him in a long email uh, chain, which was published by the Washington Post. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, if I were the CEO of any company, public or not, I would just stay away from communicating with an employee that I have just fired a couple of days prior and sued within hours prior. I mean, that is just uh, probably not advisable. I think even Elon Musk admitted as much that it was probably not advisable to engage in this conversation. And uh, I certainly agree with uh, Elon Musk on that point. Maybe the investors need to get a nanny for Elon because it sounds like, uh, you know, it could have changed the outcome of any court case dramatically by him opening his mouth. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Anton Wallman, you can find his stuff at SeekingAlpha.com. He is our independent investor and analyst. More show coming right back. Keep listening. Nick Miles, our auto expert, is moments away on Como News 1000, FM 97.7. Homo News 1000 FM 97.7. Jump right in and put the pedal to the floor. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. Well, thanks for listening to this week's show. Jen, what did you learn from this week's show? That it takes an hour and a half to build an AMG engine. An hour and a half? That's what I, said. I could do it in 10 seconds. And it's signed by the person who... I couldn't it. sign it, though. <laughs> uh, Brian, what did you learn from this week's show? Um... All right, absolutely nothing. We'll be back next week. You can follow us on social media at Our Auto Expert. And as always, the OurAutoExpert.com website is available 24-7 where you can download previous shows that you've listened to and put them on your pod playing machine, which is kind of a benefit of this show. You can have it available 24-7. Of course, follow us on social media as well, Our Auto Expert on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook, or you can follow my personal, Nick J. Miles, N-I-K-J-M-I-L-E-S, and send me notes of things you want to hear on the show and questions that you may have that Jen can answer, because she's in charge of answering all the questions and social media as well. Don't forget to watch our TV segments online as well. You can see all the videos of the new cars that we travel around the world to test drive, and some of the unveilings, like that new Chevy Blazer. That's, of course, online. Until next week, uh, you look really nice today. Just wanted to throw that in at the end of the show. Stay connected. Stay informed. This is Como News.